Hi, I'm Liam Geraghty, and welcome to Inside Intercom. On this week's show, we're talking to columnist, author, and category designer Kevin Maney about category design and definition. Kevin co-authored a book called Play Bigger, all about how to define, develop, and ultimately dominate a new category of business. Kevin says that winning today isn't about beating the competition at the old game, it's about inventing a whole new game, defining a new market category. In this episode, Kevin shares his insight into the thought processes involved in creating a new category design, as well as giving some great advice on how to go about it. It's a fascinating conversation, which we hope you'll enjoy. And if you do, we'd love it if you left us a review. It helps to spread the word about our show. Now, though, over to the studio and to the man himself, Kevin Maney. Kevin, you're very welcome to the show. Delighted to have you with us today. I wanted to start by getting a handle on what category design in marketing actually is. And luckily for us, you literally wrote the book on this stuff. (laughs) It's called Play Bigger, How Rebels and Innovators Create New Categories and Dominate Markets. It's a great title. So I know you co-authored this book with Al Ramadan, Dave Peterson, and Christopher Lockhead. Where did you get all the inspiration to write this book in the first place? Uh, well, thanks, Liam. And I, I mean, thanks for having me on, first of all. And uh, a great question. Well, um, there's a little backstory. Al, of the three co-authors there, Al, Al Ramadan had uh, started a company called Quokka Sports back in the 1990s during the dot-com boom. And I was a columnist for USA Today, writing about technology. I've been a journalist in this space for, an author in this space for like 30 years. And I really liked what Quokka was doing. And basically it was inventing the idea of sports on the internet and using data to help tell the story of sports. All this stuff that like is commonplace today. And so I, I started writing about Alan Quokka and became, became friends with Al and, and really liked his thinking about, especially about sports and, and digital universe and all of that. It turned out that Quokka was about 10 years too early. Um, it was trying to sell, give us, you know, sort of online sports at a time when we were still dialing up modems and, you know, <laughs> and barely able to download a photograph. But over the years, you know, Al went on to other positions and companies and then he became an advisor to startups. And he teamed up with Chris and Dave, both of who are Silicon Valley veterans and former CEOs and CMOs and founders and all that. And the three of them had this firm called Play Bigger that they had around for a few years and were, were you know, advising startups. And their basic concept was this idea that if you're going to think about starting a company and you really want to be successful, in this day and age, especially in digital markets where it tends to be winner take all, I mean, you've got an Uber, you've got an Airbnb, and you can barely name the second or third place company in each category. So it would make sense that if you're a founder, that you should think in terms of trying to create a new category and win that category rather than going into somebody else's category and try to grab some market share. And that, that was kind of their founding idea. And they had a bunch of scattered things that they were, you know, doing with startups through that period of time. And then we had a dinner one night and Al invited me to dinner with these guys and introduced me. And we all, they talked about what they were doing and said, you know, we wondered if maybe there's, by this point, I'd written like, you know, half a dozen books about technology and business. And they wondered if there was a book in this kind of thinking. And I knew enough from the context of what was going on in digital markets and, and, and such that 
I immediately said, you know, like, that's really interesting thinking. I think it's right. Let's keep talking about it and pursue it. And um, we started getting together, the four of us, for these two or three day stretches at Chris's magnificent house in Santa Cruz, <laughs> California. And, I, you know, we'd spend part of the day riding bikes around or they would go surfing or who knows what. And part of the day just, you know, hammering out these ideas. And we started to put a lot of discipline around the thinking and, and bringing in other concepts from brain science and from, you know, the other economists who are doing work about studying categories. And it all started to come together around this idea of, of helping companies be able to see and, and spot a, a new market category that doesn't exist yet, but that the world actually needs. And then pointing the strategy at that and uh, using language and words in a narrative to define that new category. And this is important in a way that is beneficial to the company defining it. So if everybody else comes into this category, they have to play by your rules because you've managed to get the rules out there. Right. Ahead of so we put all this together in a book called Play Bigger. And the book came out and it has been the most successful book I've ever been a part of. And as the book sales started to take off, we just started to get this phenomenon of, of CEOs and venture capitalists and others calling us and saying, please help us do what you wrote about in the book. And um, I thought I was going to continue to be a journalist and author. And <laughs> instead, um, I got into this business of helping companies do what we wrote about in the book. And now it's most of what I do. I mean, it's been a really fascinating turn of events in my life, but it's also been truly satisfying and an amazing adventure to do this. For sure. And so like with category design, let's like do a bit of a deep dive into it. Like how exactly do you define it? Well, it is, it is a, we, we define it as a discipline, you know, it's like, you know, experience design or product design. I mean, these are, we, we intentionally named it that way so that it, we, we want, and in fact, this is already happening, other people in the world to start defining themselves as category designers. And so the idea is that, you know, every company starts with the idea of, of, of product design. I mean, you've got an idea of something to build and you go and build that. And then another important factor in creating a company is, I guess you'd call it company design, which is, you know, now you got a product and now you got to figure out like, you know, what kind of people to hire, what kind of culture to have, you know, uh, where you're going to be located, all those kinds of things, how you're going to operate. And most companies pretty much stop there and then then they go on with life. And so part of our point is that if you can have another person, you know, it's like a chief category designer who's, whose job is to constantly keep an eye on the space you're going into and define the space and open that space in people's minds that they need this thing that you're you're creating, then that's a very powerful way to basically build and sell and, and own a new uh, products and own a new market. Yeah. So, so category design is literally about that practice, that discipline of seeing new spaces, new, new strategic spaces, and putting the language around that space to define it so that your company knows exactly what it's doing, what kind of products it needs to build, the way its sales decks should be presented, the way you talk to, to potential investors. All of that should center on what that language is about, how that category is going to you know, evolve over time. And then continue to make sure that the company stays on that path rather than veering off into something else or, you know, listening to customers too much and doing, you know, <laughs> odd little things that the customers want. If you <laughs> understand that there's a category that the world needs and you're going to try to fulfill it, 
stay on that path, you know, and really drive, you know, drive the category thinking through the company. Yeah. So who are we talking about here? Like who, who will be some notable examples in this space? Uh, well, there's been a couple of like really big, now keep in mind, the book came out five years ago. So, and we <laughs> primarily working with pre-IPO startups. So a lot of these things are sort of in the works, right? They're coming through the, the sure. it's, it's been early to, to see a lot of, you know, superstars. But we've had a couple of big successes. Now there's the Chris Allen Dave contingent who originally had their Play Bigger firm early on when, when the book was just coming out and before I got involved, they were working with uh, Qualtrics and they changed where well, Qualtrics was kind of a survey company at the time. And, and they changed Qualtrics's you know, idea about, you know, about experience design and experience you know, measurement and created this new sort of space, this new idea of what they were. And now they're completely identified with that. And, and Qualtrics ended up getting bought for like $18 billion by SAP, which then, by the way, then has turned around and put Qualtrics out into the public markets again. And that's been, a, it, it, that's been an enormous success. And, and even the CEO, Ryan Smith, will gladly talk about how category design played in a huge role in, in what they became. A more recent one that I got involved with is an IPO that happened in June by a company called Sprinkler. S-P-R-I-N-K-L-R. And Sprinkler had been around for like 10 years and they'd been in this space of, you know, measuring like social chatter and yeah. and what was going on out there for, you know, for marketers and understand what your reputation is and what, you know, something's going wrong with the way people are perceiving your products, whatever. And they were fighting against a lot of, there was a lot of sort of point solutions that dealt with different kinds of channels and all that. And they had a product that measured this customer experience data, but it, it was sort of a purpose built that did it across channels and, and did it for like the entire company rather than different departments. And they had they had been going to market as like, we're competing against this company and this market and this company and this market, this company and this market. And they were six months away from an IPO and they, they got in touch with us. They felt mm. like they needed some help in really defining what the space was that they were trying to capture. And the more we talked about it, the more we realized, and again, we draw this from a company. It's not like we studied the market and came to this understanding. They sure. already knew this, but they just didn't know how to kind of put it all together and realized that they were the only one who were unifying all of these measurement systems in one place and, and using the data across all those silos. And nobody else was doing that. So instead of defining themselves as, as in five different categories, which is what they were doing before, we helped them put a lot of language around this idea of unified CXM, unified customer experience management, and go to the world and say, to say, this is a new category. In fact, you know, again, like this idea of writing the rules so you are the one who wins. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, this new, there's this new category that usurps the old category because you don't want a bunch of these point solutions that all don't talk to each other. What you really want is one unified CXM system that merges all these together and gives you a complete understanding of what's going on in your, in your company and in your market. And so the idea is to create this new category. So people see them as the one who created it and leads it. Yeah. Um, and in, in by doing that deposition, the old categories so that they're not seen as competing against those, but they're seen as something different from those. And that language is all over their S1 and in their IPO language. And, you know, it helped them go public and, be at, I think they went public at like an $8 billion valuation. You know, they were quite pleased with that result. So that was a way that category design helped a company. Now, 
a lot of times it helps a company develop a strategy and a product in the first place because they're seeing a new category to go for. This was an example yeah. of a company that had been around for quite a while, had all of the information, had the products, and just didn't understand the space that they could own. And we, and we helped them do that. So what are the thought processes involved of creating a new category design? Well, that's a great question. So I, I work with a firm, kind of a sister firm to Play Bigger called mm. Category Design Advisors. And me and my partners have, you know, by now worked out a pretty standard way of doing this. And we do it as a as an intense week-long workshop with the entire leadership team from the company. And so we asked that there should be six to 10 maybe people around the table. And the first day is maybe six hours long. We get in a conference room and there's whiteboards and all this. <laughs> and we want to make sure those people are, they're not, this is not a marketing exercise. This is to be the CEO, yes, the CMO, but also the head of product, the head of sales, the CFO, uh, the HR chief. All those people should be in the room because what we're going to talk about is affects the way all of them should approach their jobs. And the first question that we start with in that beginning day is, what problem do you solve? And believe it or not, that simple question is so hard to answer. And, <laughs> and, and it's usually a six-hour conversation wow. and a lot of arguing. Because by the way, first thing, when you ask that question, the first thing 90% of companies will tell you, you ask what problem do you solve? And it'll tell you what my product does. <laughs> And we're saying, no, 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 that's not what we're asking. <laughs> we don't care what your product does. Tell us what problem exists in the world that is not getting solved any other way, or, or even sometimes better, a problem that people don't really understand that they have until you explain it to them, that you're going to solve with whatever you're going to build. Don't tell us what you have. Tell us what problem you solve. If we start with that, and we can make people understand that there's a problem that can be solved in a new way or a problem that is a new problem that nobody ever solved before and make them understand that that's a missing thing in the world. Now you've got people's attention and you've got a reason to be and you've got a product to build to solve that problem. So it's kind of a, almost an inside out look, uh, strategy for a company. And that's the beginning of once we identify that problem clearly and everybody aligns around it, around that table. From that point on, the job is actually pretty easy because now we understand the thing that must exist in the world that doesn't yet exist. And you know what? If you guys don't do it, because now you really everybody sees that it should exist, somebody else is going to do it if you don't do it. And sure. so now let's decide what the company strategy is to solve that problem. What kind of product are you going to build? What kind of investment are you going to raise? What kind of people do you need to hire? And so it all sort of starts to fall backward from that idea of the problem that you're going to solve, the category you're going to create. So something related to all of this is public psychology, the notion that people have to get comfortable with something before they choose their dominant design uh, is something economist uh, Paul Gorowski wrote about in The Evolution of New Markets. I'm just wondering, where does that come into play with all of this? Well, it's a huge thing. Are, are you are you a Paul Gorowski fan? Because I'm, I'm kind of a Paul Gorowski fanboy. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> and in fact, I, I think this is, he is one of the most overlooked economists and thinkers. I, I can't believe that every startup founder doesn't read that book. So I guess as, as you know, I mean, Gorowski was an economist who used data to study how markets, how new categories and new markets got created and evolved over time. And as you mentioned, the dominant design is the key thing, right? So 
if you imagine in, you know, in any new market that's created on day one, there's like one company because they're the one who's basically trying to invent this thing. And there, and it's worth nothing because there's no market for it yet. And over time, this is, we're talking years and depending on the kind of product or market we're talking about, but over time, as soon as that idea starts to get out there that, and people understand that it's an interesting and smart idea, the number of companies that go into that space start to, to skyrocket. Everybody's piling in, trying to different versions of whatever this is. And yet at the same time, the market for these things is almost still nil. It's just, it's just early adopters. It's really not very valuable because nobody really knows what this thing's going to be yet. A good way to envision this is if you've been around long enough to remember the early smartphone market when there were Blackberries with tangible keyboards and there mm. were you know, Nokia phones, there were Motorola's and there was, you know, everybody was trying different versions. There was like five or six or eight different operating systems for mobile phones. And then as Gorosky points out is that the, all this activity is happening, tons of companies piling in, trying different versions. The consumers or businesses or whatever is your market are just yeah. kind of watching this and not really buying or testing the waters. And suddenly there comes a point in time, and Grosky would say that, that there was no real consistency about why this happened. But at some point in time, the world decides on a dominant design. And again, if you use that smartphone example, it was the moment that Apple introduced the iPhone. And then everybody looked at that and said, that's what a smartphone should be. And in fact, because it's Apple, we trust that this is going to be around for a while. It's going to work. We could buy into this. And that becomes the dominant design. And the moment that happens, the number of competitors falls off precipitously because they don't have the dominant design or they have to copy the dominant design. And that's why every smartphone today works essentially in the manner of an iPhone. And at that moment in time, the world decides that this is, okay, now it's safe to invest in this thing. So the market for this thing takes off. And over time, we end up with two or three dominant companies capturing all of that value as it takes off. So the important thing for every company that like we work with or any company that on their own does tries to do category design or this kind of thinking is not to be the first company in the space, but it's to be the one who gets chosen as the dominant design years after this space begins. Right. Um, and so, you know, if you can understand what the category is and what it should be and define it in a way that makes you the dominant design and keep at that so that you, that's the way the world perceives you at that critical moment in time, you are going to be the one that captures all that value as the market takes off. And that's, I mean, that is a, a huge and important part of this whole process and way of thinking. Just before we continue with today's episode, I wanted to let you know about Offscript. It's a new series of candid conversations with intercom leadership all about the extraordinary AI-driven transformation we're currently experiencing. Episode 1 is on our YouTube channel right now. Here's a teaser of what you can expect. I don't want to come across as overly dramatic, but for every single tech company, this is an adapt-or-die moment. It's inevitable that all businesses are going to go AI first. It's just a matter of time. In this post-AI world, new companies will rise, old companies will fall. Of course, some of these new companies will flame out. Some old companies will pivot successfully too. I don't think any of us could see a world where this wasn't going to be one of the biggest changes in the customer service landscape ever. The world we care about is customer service. And it's so patently obvious that the old way will be quickly obsolete. 
We're racing hard to build a future which will result in better experiences and results for our customers and businesses too. It's not just a product change, it's a mindset change. Let's make space to talk about all of this. We have so much we want to share. We want to explore these ideas in the open. We want to provoke new ones in you. We want to learn from your reaction. You just click the kind of like big stupid go button, right, and see what happens. Welcome to Offscript. That's all to come on Offscript. The first episode is out now. You can watch it on Intercom's YouTube channel and we'll bring you audio versions of the episodes right here. Now, back to today's episode. You mentioned Steve Jobs there and the iPhone. So it just kind of made me think about kind of on the flip side, I suppose, when you know, what are the big hurdles when it comes to category design? Like what if people don't recognize the problem? And I suppose I'm thinking about the iPad in the beginning. Well, yeah, you know, the, so the iPad was actually, in my view, a brilliant job of category design, but a little tougher hill to climb because what Steve Jobs did was he he did that classic, what I kind of mentioned before, of telling us about a problem we didn't know we had before. And that, you know, that's a little harder than a recognizable problem, but can be very effective. So like the, state, the day Steve Jobs in 2010 introduced the iPad, he gets up on stage and he goes, he says, tells tells people, okay, well, maybe you haven't noticed, but we now are in a digital media universe and we're all consuming television shows and movies and music and books and news and everything else on digital devices. And there are basically two digital devices that can do this for you. And one is your phone and he puts up a picture of a phone and he says, well, go and that's great, except the screen's really small. Doesn't really do very well for watching, you know, a sport, sporting event or watching a movie. Mm. Or you have this laptop, which has a nice big screen, but you know, pretty hard to use if you're like on an airplane or sit, you're trying to sit on a couch and all that stuff. <laughs> so he, what he said was, you have a problem, you, you know, you didn't realize you had, which is you're consuming all this digital media and you don't have the right device to do that on. So we're going to introduce this new category of product that sits between these things. It's a tablet. Ours is called the iPad. And it solves this problem that you didn't realize you had. So, you know, he, I mean, look at all the followers who piled in and created iPad, similar kinds of things. They, they saw the category, saw that it exists and that they had to try to build to the design that Apple had, had created and to the idea that Apple created. So he opened up the space in people's minds that didn't exist before. Now, was, is the iPad the success of an iPhone or, or even the MacBook? No, it's not. But the fact that it exists at all and is as big a business as it is, is due to the fact that Steve Jobs created the category and made us understand there was a problem that needed to be solved in the world that was not being solved by anything else. So then of the back of that, I suppose I, I'm thinking about all the entrepreneurs, like, you know, their heads percolating now with ideas. What advice or tips would you give to them, you know, people who want to pursue and create their own category design? Well, the, the first thing is, if you're talking about what you're doing as being better than someone else, then I guarantee you, you are entering somebody else's category. You know, and yeah. so you're trying to tell people that we've got, we do this, ours is faster, has three more knobs or whatever it is. You're basically making an argument to grab some market share from someone else. And, you know, I mean, lots of companies are successful doing that and that's, that's fine. But in, in our universe and our way of thinking, the better strategy is to create something that's different instead of creating something that's better. And different means 
trying to, you know, again, going back to that, I would tell interpreters, think through the problem that you're solving. And is there a problem to be solved that nobody else is solving or a new problem that people aren't quite yet understanding that they have that you can solve for them and make people aware of that problem and why it's not being solved and why nobody else is capable of solving it and why you are the one who understands the problem and understands how to solve it. And if you approach a market that way, or just even approach your thinking, your strategic thinking that way, it will lead you to the kind of product that you should build and the kind of company that you should build to, to make sure that that product succeeds. And you know, it's, it's a very straightforward and simple answer, but I, I do think that that's a, a very important way for founders to think. No, it's great advice. And I'm wondering, actually, you know, have you noticed things, you know, or how have things changed, you know, in this space since the book came out? Like, and 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 I suppose even with the everything that's gone on since you know COVID started, have you seen any kind of changes there? Well, yeah, certainly we've. I mean, I, I would say certainly we've learned a lot, and I don't think that a lot has changed about the way it works or what happens out there in the world. I mean, one thing that has changed for us is that the world has picked up on category design. And now there are, I mean, there's, there's a completely free of, of us doing this. There's now like a small organization, a group of people who identify them as category designers who get together regularly over Zoom calls and, and <laughs> talk about this. They invite us once in a while to join. And, you know, and so the fact that this is actually becoming a thing that people think about, and we get uh, emails sometimes from companies saying, you know, we read the book, we rolled our own category design project. We'd love to tell you about it just because we're proud of it. So the idea that people are doing this without us even touching them is really amazing. And I and my co-authors do believe that this is going to grow, that this is a discipline that that is going to increasingly be a part of the way every company thinks and the way investors think. I mean, venture capital, big venture capital firms like Sequoia and Floodgate, General Catalyst, all these guys have caught on to this and, and will actually tell their portfolio companies to think this way or to get the book or to talk to us. So it is spreading. And that's the, that's the biggest thing that, that's happened, I think, you know, is into, you know, my world as this has gone on. Yeah, brilliant. So just to wrap up, what's next? Do you have any big plans or projects for 2021? Well, I do. So one of the other, I mean, I've always been an author and journalist, and I've always liked how that continuing to write has continued to help me think about, you know, the way things work and the way markets work and businesses work. So I've had this great collaborative relationship with Hamant Tanasia, who runs General Catalyst. And we wrote one book that came out right after Playbigger called Unscaled, which is about how AI and all these technologies we're inventing today are going to change a bunch of different industries. We followed that up with one called Ung Healthcare, which came out last year. And that was more specifically about all these technologies that are changing healthcare, but mm. also wrapped in a lot about, we very quickly responded to like the stuff going on with the pandemic and how that was changing things. And we just completed a third book uh, that we worked on together, and it's going to be called Intended Consequences. And it tackles this idea of responsible innovation. Well, responsible innovation and stakeholder capitalism or conscious capitalism, all these kind of terms have been talked about quite a bit over these last few years, kind of in response to things that the companies like Facebook and Amazon are doing to the world we live in. Mm. But one of the things that didn't exist in the world was 
a playbook for how, like if you were a founder and said, you know, I, I really want to build a responsible innovation company and I really want to build a company that has a, a business model built around that so that, you know, it's not just an interesting, you know, nice idea that we throw out the first time there's pressure on margins. How do we do that? How do you think that through? And how do you build that kind of company? How do you build that kind of business plan? Where are some examples of companies that have done it before? And that's what this book, Intended Consequences, is about. And it's due to come out in January. In conjunction with that, uh, General Catalyst is helping to fund. And you know, I've been a part of this. And some other people from companies like Stripe and uh, American Express and uh, others have come together to create a nonprofit called Responsible Innovation Labs to continue thinking about this topic and continuing to help, you know, convene things and help founders understand how to build these kinds of companies, because we think this is going to be important for the world to, you know, get capitalism and technology behind changing things for the better rather than changing things for the worse. For sure. And then lastly, where can our listeners go to keep up with you and your work? Uh, yeah, well, I certainly I have a personal website, just kevinmaney.com, where I make sure like if you want to see what books I've written or that kind of thing. But more importantly, if you're interested in category design, categorydesignadvisors.com is is our company's or our firm's website. And, uh, you know, we'd be happy to hear from you. That's great. Kevin, it's been fantastic to talk to you. Thanks for coming on. Great, Liam. Thank you. I appreciate it. We hope you enjoyed our conversation with Kevin Maney. If you did, we'd love you to give us a review. It helps like-minded people find their way to our content. We'll be back next week with another great episode. We do hope you'll join us. This is Inside Intercom.